Hey, I'm Mike Myers, and this is the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, which is geared to support songwriters and producers to gain confidence and turn pro. I bring on industry experts to help you improve and monetize your skills, engage better in the writing process, and build healthy habits to create a sustainable career that you love. Caffeinated, inspirational, conversational. Hey friends, Mike Myers here with the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number 96, five steps for the modern songwriter to start getting placements. So back in June, I was able to speak at the Austin Music Foundation. This was my first time in Austin too. It was an amazing city. And I gave a talk on five steps for the modern songwriter to start getting placements. These are five things that I think are crucial, five things I've learned over time that are kind of make or break, whether you're going to have longevity in licensing or it's just gonna be kind of like a flop. And so if you're someone that hasn't received a placement, or let's say you received one placement, but it hasn't been consistent and you're looking for that consistency, this is something you're gonna wanna listen to. So this is my talk that I gave back in June at the Austin Music Foundation, five steps for the modern songwriter to start getting placements. Without further ado, I'd love to introduce you to Mike Myers and take it away. Is it weird not being on Zoom? It's like, for me, it's like all my shit's on Zoom. So when there's a live thing, I'm just like, can I change the gallery view? Can I find it? And it's just like, okay, can I mute? I can't mute. You're all here. This is good. This is my first time in Austin. And it is a gorgeous city. This is so good. Like the, the culture, everyone's so nice. Everyone is so nice. And it's so inclusive. And it's just like, oh my God, that's wonderful. It's great. It's like this little gem in Texas. Yeah. Oh, can you, you guys can be more energetic. That was funny. Yeah. Uh, so what do you, I'm a huge caffeinated person. So if you're like, man, he talks fast. He's like, he's all over the place. It's coffee. It's coffee. Um, when I did my event once, there was uh, someone that sent an email and was like, Mike, are you on cocaine? And I was like, I was like, I was like, well, I was like, it's coffee. Um, so a little of my background, because I'm going to talk about licensing. First thing, when somebody says, I'm going to tell you about something, you should ask them, do you do this thing? And before you tell me, so my background was I was a musician. I toured in a band, did that for an extremely long period of time. Uh, and then eventually, like all things, bands break up, different iterations. We went through different drummers. We went through different this, different that. And then finally, I was just like, I guess this is it. I guess music's done for me. And then so I ended up uh, teaching at a small music school in Pittsburgh, which I loved. It was great. I started to teach guitar. But then halfway through, I was watching a show on my couch late at night, and music was playing. And I was like, I can write that. That's not that complicated. I know what that is. But then there's this other voice that was like, that's great. Why aren't you? Okay, why am I not doing the thing? And anybody else watch music on TV and be like, oh, I could do that. It's not that complicated. You can raise your hand. You can say yes. You can do it perfectly. Yeah. Because there's so many shows. Like think of in the past, I don't know, six, seven years, how many streaming services have popped up? So many. How many ads do you see? Not only just like on TV, but web-only ads. Like, you know, when you're trying to watch a video, you know, like, you know, cats on YouTube, and then suddenly it's just like, ad, and you're like, Music, I could still do the music for this, and then you move on to the cat video. So I was like, I want to do this, but here's the thing. I have no idea how. I'm not sure how this world works. So then started my journey of figuring out music licensing. So it was taking a whole bunch of courses. It was being very, very uncomfortable. Coming to things like this, where people are like, I'm going to speak. And I'm like, I'll go. And it's me with my backpack being like, okay. Flying out to LA, Nashville, sitting there having zero songs to show, but literally just taking notes, listening to what's working, what's not working, going back home and applying it, doing it, getting rejected, getting it wrong, not getting accepted, but still being like, okay, I'll figure it out. And then about two years in, first placement. And I'm like, it was Teen Mom, 
It was Team Mom. But still, it was awesome because I was like, it proved that I wasn't crazy. I was like, wait a minute, this is working. Because, you know, probably as creatives and visionaries, we always have this thing in our head that we get that we're trying to explain to other people. And it seems like we're speaking a foreign language to them. We're trying to explain what we do and what we want to do. And they're just like, so what do you want to do for a living? Like, why, how are you going to make money? And you're like, oh. And that's how I felt. I remember coming back from a flight from L.A. And my parents picked me up because I'm cool like that. And my parents were taking me back to my place. And they were like, so how'd it go? And I was like, good. Do you think I could borrow just like 500 just for the bills for the month? And they were like, yeah, that's fine. Do you think this thing's going to work out? And I was like, trust me on this. It's going to work out. And after that first placement, a couple months later, there was another one. And then there was another one. And then there was another one. And the placements went up, too, from, like, that low grade of, like, cool, I got a 500 to, like, cool, now we got a 1,000. And then suddenly the shows got better, too. It was like, oh, shameless, I know that. That's a thing. And the payments got better. And then I got ads. And then things were starting to rise up. So my goal today is to show you five things. And these are five things that I've noticed that are going to be universal. So no matter what happens 10 years from now, when it comes to licensing, these five things are still going to matter. So these five things are incredible. And my goal is to give you information so that when you're done, that you apply this. Because it's one thing when people tell you things to take in the knowledge, but to actually start applying it to your songs. That's a thing that's going to make you se separate you from people that do it and don't. People that do it, they don't care if they're going to fucking fail. They know that if they, you know, something doesn't happen or if they screw up, they're going to learn from it, tweak the process, tweak the system, do it again. People that just consume information and consume, they're always consuming. Like all the time. We probably have friends that do that. Oh, once I get this course, once I do this thing, once I do this thing. And it's like, it never happens. They're always consuming. So what's great about you guys is you set the intention today to by being here. Because there's a lot of shit you got to do as an adult. Like, isn't there? Like, you have to, like, why would you come here? Like, why? Because uh, I like could expand my... Your knowledge? And it's just like, and if that also unlocks another revenue stream in which you can make money, is that a bad thing? Yeah. No! Because money's okay. It's okay to be an artist and make money. So we're going to go through those five things. Now, when I say sync, sync, it's synchronization. So that's basically any form of media that you're putting to picture, film. So that means there's so many different buckets. So the first thing when people are starting out in licensing, my best advice is, which sync bucket are you going to focus in? Because they all have different rules. And what I mean by that, there's film and TV. Then we've got trailers. Then we've got things like commercials. But even within commercials, we've got web-only commercials. Then we've got like high-paying commercials that marketing, marketing agencies are doing. Then we've got things like podcasts. And we have things like underscore, which are completely different. All of these play by different rules and are, need different things. So you have to focus, where do I feel like is my best focus right now? Because what happens early on is people see all of this and they're like, oh, my music's perfect for everything. It's not. And I mean that with love. It's not perfect for everything. It's perfect for a certain area at first, and you can refine it. So if we start with film and TV, it's vast. Let's start with reality shows. That is one of your best entry-level things right now, reality TV. Because it's so, right now, what we could do is we could go to something like Team Mom. And you're going to hear me talk about this website a lot, which you should write down. It's called uh, ToonFind. So ToonFind is gonna be your best resource in terms of, let's say, researching a show. Let's go Team Mom, we'll type it in. And then it's gonna give you all the seasons, and then it's gonna show you every single song that was used for that particular season. Plus, it's gonna give you the link, and it's gonna tell you the scene that was used in. So it's like, we don't have to go watching these shows. All we gotta do is just hone in on one particular show and start to do some research. So when we do, what's great is you're gonna see that and you're gonna be like, okay. Reality TV always needs songs. I think one season of Team Mom I looked, there was over, they needed 231 songs. Now they're not all Bohemian Rhapsody. 
So you don't have to worry about it. It's like, oh, it needs to be just like that. No, it, there's a need for it. Now, as we move up, like for instance, Shameless, you're going to find the songs, it's going to be a little bit different. There's going to be a different amount, probably about five per season, or five per show, I should say. And that means there's going to be more of a selective process. There's going to be really honed in. So that means that price point is going to be a little bit higher. But when we're talking about reality TV, that's the ground floor right there. That's your perfect entry level of starting to get into licensing. And it's not bad. $500 per show usually. And that's not talking about the residual royalties on the back end, which we'll get into. But right there, that's a perfect entry level. Sometimes we're starting when someone goes like, ah, oh, I want to do a Google ad. Have you gotten a placement before? Nope. Don't start there. That is so selective. Because what's going to happen is you're going to aim so high, then you're going to get disappointed. Be like, sure, I can't do it. But here's the thing, you can, you just need to know where to start. It's like you're talking about step 37, and I'm like, hey, why don't we start with like step four and start right there? Because I believe anyone can do licensing. Like it's not, there's a need for music. There's a need for great music too. It's not just a need for any type of music, there's a need for great music. So understanding that bucket, like for instance, still in the film and TV, if we go to dark haunting shows, for instance, Wednesday, that was a huge show. Stranger Things. That was a huge show. There are different types of songs that were needed. There were definitely, for Wednesday, also darker things. So if you're a singer-songwriter and you have some brooding things and you want to focus on an emotion and a feel, that's perfect. That's the bucket you need to be focusing on. Because if you're trying to take those songs and you're forcing it into ads, it's not going to work. You're going to be wondering why nobody's listening to you. It's because you're not focusing on which bucket. So that to me is one. So we got film and TV. Ads, completely different. Ads need to be upbeat. They need to be modern. They need to be poppy. They need to have great, very specific targeted lyrics. Like that's where, because there's a lot of visuals that are hitting you very quick. Quick camera shots. So if you're not sure, like, I don't know what ads are going on right now. Another website that's great, it's called iSpot TV. That's going to show you all the ads that are happening. And not only that, it's going to show you like companies that were used. Like how long it was used? What were the mediums? Was it web only? Was it used for web? Was it used for TV as well? And how long was that commercial airing? Because maybe you're going to research something and you notice like, oh, that was like three years ago. Does that matter? We'll get in questions. So if you got a question, feel free. Yeah. You that company, I spot TV. Like the letter I. Yeah, I and then spot just dot TV. Not even dot com, just dot TV. Tunefind.com. Yeah. So that's for shows. If you're looking specifically for commercials and ad reels, you're going to go to iSpot TV. So those are the two worlds. Because then if you're researching something and suddenly you see like that commercial was three years ago, probably a lot's changed in those three years. So that's not the best point of reference. But perhaps as you're going through, when I was starting to go through like T-Mobile, I noticed the theme. They love female fronted bands. They always Rarely, the, the, the genres were diverse, but in terms of lyrics and in terms of like who was the front and center, that was female fronted. Very rare was it to find a male. So I was like, cool. So when I run into someone that's like this, I know that's what I'm focusing on. Now, when it comes to underscore, now underscore is a little bit different. So do we have any producers here, like songwriter? Okay, producer, awesome. So what's great about being a producer is you kind of have two, two ways that you can look at this. You could start doing songs with artists, and I would suggest that. Co-writing with artists are fantastic. Because when you do that, you're gonna find someone that has a great voice, they have a great emotion, and you can tap into that. Underscore is another thing, and that is simply just cues. There's no lyrics, there's no melody, but you are painting the vibe of the show. I did a whole bunch recently for Shark Week, uh, I did something that was an Australia show that was called Bondi Rescue, and another one that was called Extreme Tow Truckers, and this was all overseas. But a lot of it was short underscores, which were maybe a minute, a minute to 45 seconds. So for me as a producer, I'm versatile in just maybe two or three genres that I really focus on. So if they said, hey, we're looking for something that's Stone Temple Pilots, I'm like, awesome. We're looking for something that's like the Aces and like We Are Scientists, Indie Rock, I know that shit. Folk, Americana, I know that. As soon as it gets into the realm that I don't know, I don't worry about it. Like, because there's so many options out there. Focus, focus on what you know well when you're starting. When you're picking this bucket, focus on your strength. Can you branch out? Yes. 
Should you do that from the beginning? Absolutely not. Stay with what you know, what is your sweet spot, your zone of genius. Anybody read The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks? Anyone? Okay, so I'm gonna tell books too. You should read that book. He talks about something called your zone of genius. That's the shit that you're good at. And the one thing music supervisors definitely want is the thing that you're good at, your zone of genius. You don't have to try to be someone you're not. They want that authenticity. So much of what when we think we sing, we think we have to paint who we are. But what I found throughout that is, oh no, you actually gotta be you. You have to be your authentic self. You gotta be your authentic self in your lyrics, your production. You don't have to try to be someone else. They would rather you not, because they can sniff out a phony very quickly because they're inundated daily with emails from people that are like, I'm like this, I'm the next usher. Imagine me saying I'm the next usher. You can laugh a little bit more. That was good, that was good. Thank you, I know, it's a belief, but it's like being authentic, and that was so hard for me at first because I'm going to these events, I'm meeting all these people, I'm seeing it, I'm just like, shit, I really need to, no. I realized I had much more success with songs when I, trust me, I had a hard drive of terrible songs, but then eventually I had a, another hard drive that was starting to get better songs. I realized that was just me just being me. Me working and having that quirky personality when I'd have an artist, it worked well. I didn't have to try to do everything. So my big thing is what bucket? So that's the big thing you need to focus. What bucket are you going to focus on? Where are you going to spend your zone of genius? Hmm? I was just, I got what's in there already. Yeah. Polka and Goblin There we go. Now, we got to talk about the second thing. Your music and your style is important to you because we all feel attached to it. The question you have to ask, is there a need for it? Because when it comes to licensing, this is where we're entering a service-based industry. Because whenever we tax something on where we're like, we want money for this, this is a service-based industry. You're providing a service. So when it comes to this, if you are someone that says like, you know, Russian folk is my shit. That's what I make a lot of. Okay, do the research. So think of your bucket and think about the shows. Then ask yourself, is there a need for it? I'm not Russian. I mean, I see folk. Cool. There's folk. Can you find something that's similar to where that's what you need to do? Now, how many singer-songwriters do we have here? Okay, cool. Singer-songwriters are awesome because I would say one of the most uh, uh, synced songs I have is called Crazy. It's done with my friend Madeline, my, uh, my friend Madeline Finn. It's been synced over nine times, not exclusive, and folk Americana song, kind of similar to the vein of like of Monsters and Men and Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. So it's something like that. But that was not necessarily like where she was like, I'm crazy about that. She loves dark things. So we get into that, but we realize there's a need. Because if we're just giving them things that they don't want, here's what's going to happen. They're going to start being like, every time they see your email, <sighs> delete. Because you're giving them things they don't want. And you're just emailing them constantly with things they don't need. But if they see your email and the first thing is like, ah, oh, this is great because they're constantly sending me stuff that I need. And you're probably like, Mike, how do I know what they need? Are you doing your research? Those two sites I gave you, TuneSpot and TuneFind and then iSpot TV, are you looking at what's getting placed? Are you writing down the titles too? Because as you know, creatives, you have to be like, well, I need to be inspired. That's awesome. What you need to do is you need to look at titles. What titles are they using in these shows? Can you take one of them and maybe take a spin on it? Like, is there a theme going on to that entire episode? Is it empowerment? Is it, and also to what kind of empowerment? Is it like badass empowerment? Like we're fucking kicking down the door and we're gonna get you empowerment? Like we own this place? Or is this empowerment like through our soul we're gonna rise up? There's a different feeling. So you could write a whole bunch of empowerment songs that are strictly badass. And then you can have a series of empowerment songs that are strictly emotional. They're about like a serious scene where it's like, maybe like something like The Good Doctor on um, ABC where it's like they're coming together and they're rising up empowerment. So you really have to think about that, the need. And then as you focus on the need, you focus on that subject matter because you've got some evidence to back it up. You realize they do need that. They do require that. And I've got these nice little pockets that I can start creating. And the reason this is important is because this is how people crush it when it comes to licensing. 
They're doing this consistently. They're thinking about these things. They're researching. They're creating. How many of you create playlists? Okay, so if there's one big piece of advice, create a playlist of similar artists to you or what you want to create that are getting placed. Use TuneFind as kind of your resource. Because if you can start to collect that, and we all do mundane shit. We walk around, we have to do, if you have your AirPods in, whatever you use, and you start listening to this, you're going to get past the point of like being like, oh, that was cool. You're going to start analyzing it. And you're like, oh, you know what was interesting? That verse melody, that was pretty like static. It was kind of like toxic. But man, when you get to that chorus, the reason I think that did well or why they use that is because like that really pins up. And it, that's where they say the thing in the title. It's not convoluted and you're like, I wonder what this is about. They're serious. Like they're like, we will ride. Like they have it there in the title. I can understand why that shit got used so much. So the best advice is to start collecting a playlist because your time is valuable. Like when you're sitting down to, whether you're staring at a blank dot screen, whether you're pulling up your guitar and you're like, I'm going to start writing. That is valuable time. So if you've done some research between now and then, listening to what's working. And the reason I'm getting intense is because this is the thing that I hear again and again and again and again from music supervisors being like, why does this work? They're just throwing me songs. They haven't researched. They can't tell me what this is like. They can't tell me the emotion, the mood, the feel. What am I supposed to do with this? They're not going to reach out to you and be like, hey, I just wanted to let you know it doesn't hit the mark because they're inundated daily with hundreds of songs. So your goal is to make their job easier. When they think of my name, I want them to be like, oh, so easy because I deliver consistently. So the big thing you can do right now is just create a playlist. Start doing this. Sarah, who coach, I talk about playlists all the time. I'm like, so Sarah, what's the playlist? What's the playlist? But here's the thing. When she focuses on that, it fucking kills it. And you've crushed it because you're getting better at just focusing on the bare central structure of the song. We're not even talking about production. We're talking about the core of it, the bones, like just the bare beginning. Because when we think of sync, we're like, oh, it'll be taken care of in production. No, it won't. I always shudder when I hear that because I'm like, what makes you think it's going to be taken care of in production? It won't. The bones of the song, the structure need to be solid. So it's just like that core. When you sit with that intention, have your playlist that you've listened to. Think about what are you going to write? I'm going to write something that is, yeah, that is an empowerment. I'm going to write badass one. So that's going to dictate to you melody, chords, feel, all of that. You've set the intention well before you've even picked up an instrument because that matters. So far what we've covered is first thing, which bucket? So the goal is when you're done, write down your bucket that you're focusing on. And then think on the second thing, okay, out of my genre, stop. Is there a need based on my research? And if not, what are the things that are close enough that I can start branching to, that I can start referencing, so that when I meet, because Natalie is a sweetheart, I've talked to her and she's awesome. I love that here, here you've got a music supervisor, you've got a library that's so close to home that you can go down, that if you build a rapport, and over time, she knows your name and she knows the quality that you keep on putting out. That's awesome. Because that's always going to be someone that they're going to rely on. And that is my whole goal. This weekend, I was with an awesome music supervisor and friend, Jody Friedman, when we were at an event. And I used to know Jody by going to events. And I would see him speak. And I'd be like, oh, it's cool. He could be friends. I bet we could be friends. And every time I tried to make it happen, it's never happened. You know, it's like one of those things, you know, when you meet someone at a party, you're just like, you're gonna be friends. I'm going to set it up. I'm going to go up to the table and I'm going to be like, hey, so good to meet you. Never happened. But when it did happen was when I started sending songs that worked. And then he was like, oh, thanks for this. This really works well. I'm adding it to the catalog. And then over time, we connected. And over time, we became friends. And over time, he began sharing and being like, hey, I'm looking for this. He'll call me up. Hey, do you have any of this? Now, how is that built? It's not because I'm lucky. It's not because I just went to an event, listened to what was needed, and made sure I delivered that. And I was consistent with that. And that's how you start to bridge that gap between wanting to be in TV and then eventually getting there. To me, it's just like, it's that service mindset. And I say that again, I'll probably say, we're serving them. It's a service-based industry. Now, let's talk about the third thing. And this, to me, is super important. 
This now gets into the song. Let's talk about dynamics and ear candy hooks. This is a thing that is absolutely necessary if you're going to do licensing. Now, the first thing is dynamics. And what do I mean by that? So if I were to export your song as a WAV file, would it just be one huge lump across from start to finish? Or would I start to see these waves, these dips, these builds, these dips, these builds, builds, slow rises? Now, why does that matter? Because remember, this is being added to picture. So they're going to require you. There's a different, there's a hierarchy, if you will. So yes, there's you, then there's the music supervisor, and eventually there's this guy that's the music editor that has to put this all to, all to picture. And we want to make the music editor's job as easy as possible. If he's given a choice between a song that is one long wave file and something that has clear edit points and clear cuts, and he has to do 13 shows, which one is he going to choose? He's going to go with the one with clear edit points. Why? It's going to be a breeze. He doesn't have to go in. He doesn't have to be like, oh, I have to suck. So the big thing that I'm always looking for is we're writing. And I'm not even talking in the production stage. I'm talking about as we're writing it. Are we, are we conscious of like, as I'm playing my guitar, am I dynamically indicating where it's going to rise? And then we're going to build. Are we anticipating where we want those drops? And if we are, what's going to happen there? So dynamics are huge. If you look at a lot of songs that are working on TV, you're going to see there's a lot of edit points where you're going to hear maybe the vocal, but then it cuts to the instrumental and goes back to the vocal, then instrumental. One of the longest placements uh, that I ever got that was two minutes and 15 seconds. It was a really long song. It was a birthing scene. And they used, it was, the song was called like Flame in the Night. And then from start to finish, it went from different variations. Like we gave them a version that was just our acoustic and the instrumental. And then it came up and then there was the vocal. Then it cut away and then he spliced in the ending sound. And then he spliced back to her vocal. So there was a lot of edit points. But what made that process a hell of a lot easier, we had clear edit points. So when I was producing this out, I was conscious and I was looking at this. Are we building up? I'll always back away from my project and be like, do I see kind of like that roller coaster build? If I don't, I'm like, something has to be taken away. And the reason is because I, I want this to get placed. So there's always my ego sometimes. I'm like, oh, but it's good. I've gotten placements. It'll work. Mm -mm. You don't think? No. It will not be like that because there's always going to be someone that's going to deliver that as well. So I'm in still competition with someone else. So how am I going to make that easier? I'll give them what they want. I'll make sure there is a clear edit point. I'll make sure that the dynamics are built. I'll make sure that we're varying some sections because most songs have three courses. We've got first, second, and final. Is there variation between all three or is it copy-paste? Variation, Variation will always be better because if you've got, like, let's say first course is a little down, second course really builds up and there's a, a melodic hook that changes just slightly. And then the third one, not only is it like built up even more, but you've got counter melodies, you've got things that are bringing it to life. There's, you, that song will have a life for a long time. Like just how I said that song crazy, uh, got licensed nine times because we had three different types of courses. We had three different things that were used so that each project, because you're right, you're creating things that have been created. You know, it's going to TV for things that have already been filmed, but you're also thinking ahead for things that have yet to be filmed. And is you want song name again? I want to check your song. So the song is called Crazy and Spy, and it was by the Guard House. And that's Guard her House. project. Yeah. So there's tons of variation because you want that song because the energy and the time that you're putting in this, you don't want this song to be a one-off. Because yeah, you can get a placement, but to get another one, to get another one, to get another one, there has to be some thought and intention behind it. Yeah. Oh, um, composing just cues and so it's going to be edited anyway. Same, same deal. So I still want to build in what I'm doing. Like for instance, I did a whole bunch of Shark Week. I think I did like 20 different songs for Shark Week. I was still treating it the same, where it was like, if you looked at the WAV file, there were clear edit points. I may give them different versions, but I want to make sure that if they chose that one full version, that there's still a clear drop, there's still a clear edit point. So I'm very conscious of that consistently. 
Um, and I think that's why it continues. With cues, I always want to make sure that they get a couple. I don't want just one, but I want them to take maybe like six or seven within a season and get placed because when that gets replayed in America and other countries, that's residual royalties for me. And the only way that's going to increase is if I'm conscious of that dynamic way. And that, the reason I say this again is one of the first music licensing conferences I went to, uh, somebody raised their hand and was like, what should I put in the title of my email when I reach out to you? And the guy, this was, I did not expect this answer. And he was like, what's your name? It was like, Andrew. And he was like, Andrew, I don't give a fuck what's in your title. And I was just like, oh, shit. I was like, that's intense. And then he was like, but what I do care if it's a good song and like I, there's some builds and it's not just a bulky wave file. He was like, I have an assistant that weeds through my emails because he's getting inundated with emails constantly from people being like, this is a perfect song. Okay, well, what makes it a perfect song? Well, there's got to be a standard before it gets to him because his job is not to go through everything. His is to go through the ones that made it through like the first test and now he's going to do the listening test. He said his first test is just looking at the wave file. And then I heard that again, looking at the wave file. And I'm like, that's harsh. I was like, but they put the, t yeah. So, I'm sorry, just to clarify. So do you recommend sending um, uncompressed mixes? We'll get, we'll get into the, 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 the delivery of those things. So I, because that's a whole other spiel, which I will get into the delivery of that. But when we get into the delivery, he was like, I, if it's a huge wave file, I'm not going to listen to that. I just hit delete. I have a question. Uh, on your 20 Shark Week songs, what's your average length? So usually for underscore, it's, depe it's dependent on the company, what they give you. The parameters they gave me was they wanted at most a minute and 45. I give them a 15 second, I give them a 30 second, I give them a 5 second, I give them different mixes. So there's tons of other things that are in there. But minute 45 is kind of your average? That was the average. If it goes a little bit under, that's fine. But you uh, pieces of that. Yes. And I will talk about the delivery of that too. Um, but the wave file is super important. That is huge. And so you can still, does that mean it needs to be fucking built with all these instruments that you don't use? What if you're just like, Mike, I'm a singer-songwriter. I have organic sounds, I want organic. You can still build. Does, let's say it's just your guitar. One of the songs that the Gardals did too, that was Hold On, that was just, it was just guitar for like the first two minutes. Does your guitar have dynamics? Let's just start there. You record your guitar. Can I still see that wave file build up and build down? Your vocal, the single vocal you have over top of it, does it still build up and build down? You don't have to add anthemic drums if that's not you. You don't have to add kicking 808 cents. Again, I'm not telling you to change your identity, but I'm like, hey, here are some of the rules to be aware of that will increase your chances and make you stand out from thousands of other people that are not even thinking about this, but purely just throwing songs at the wall, hoping something sticks. But if you have a formula and you've got a process you're developing, guess what? Your chances increase. And that's when you start making better and better connections. Okay, so let's go into the next part of part three, and that's ear candy hooks. Now, what do I mean by that? It's just something that grabs the listener's attention and keeps them pulled in. Because when we write a song, we're like, how many of you have had a friend that goes, let me play you the song. You start playing the song, you start slightly tuning out, and they were like, just wait till the chorus, just wait till the chorus, just wait till the chorus. Here's the thing, that's not gonna happen with a the supervisor. They're gonna listen to the first couple seconds of your song, and they're gonna jump, they're gonna jump. Now, what they wanna do is they wanna make sure that there's something pulling the listener in. Is there a small melodic hook that maybe isn't vocal, but it's just something, whether if, let's say you're still doing something that's similar to a Monsters of Men, is it a layered guitar and piano? It's just a melodic three note hook that's repetitive. That links. Now, why is this important? We ignore most of the transitions in our songs. We think about verses, we think about choruses, we think about bridges, and we're like, that's amazing. But bridging the listener to the next section, to the next section, we assume they're going to keep on listening. Most of the time, they won't. There's like over, I think daily, and it's probably increased since the statistic, but over 60,000 songs are uploaded to Spotify a day. Not all of them are good, but they're uploaded to Spotify. So again, it's a numbers game. It's a thing. There's lots of music out there. We can't assume everyone's going to stay for the full duration of our song. So what's going to increase those odds again? Are we thinking about the transitions that we're making? If we're going from verse to chorus, 
Are we just like stumbling into it? Or are we creating that drop right there? We decided right there, that's where it's going to be. And there's going to be a slight melodic hook that rises that brings us into chorus. So transitional points in your songs are the moments for ear candy hooks. Those are the things that end up being used. There's lots of times the lyrics have not been used at all. The melody has not been used at all in our songs. But some weird little thing that I did at the front end with like a whistle, a piano, and a guitar that was the hook, that's the thing that's replayed over the scene. Why? That was great for a transition into the next scene. It was great into dialogue. Because we don't know what scenes are going or what sections of our song are going to be used. So it's up to us to make sure that we are being very intentional with that structure. Now, as I'm saying this, it's like, wow, this is a lot of work. I'm thinking about this all in the front end before I even sit down to write. Because I want to make sure the time that I, I carve out for writing, especially in early on, I was doing a weird teaching job and marketing for them that was like 11 to 9 which were weird-ass hours. So that means the time that I had to write these pockets were very, very tiny. And so I had to be super intentional with my time. If I wasn't, it was going to be waste of time. I would be building out things, and I did. I built out a lot of songs. that, As I was building, I was like, it reminded me of a saying that when my first band recorded an album, there was an engineer who was an old 60s guy that clearly did lots of drugs. His name was Doug. And he would just, he would turn around and he was like, you know, I tell him, you can't polish a turd. And then he'd like lean back. And it's right, you can't. So if you're building this out and you're like, this isn't working, it's always back to the structure and the bones of the song. I'm going to constantly say that because, yeah, production's great. A music supervisor would rather have a great song that's like a single guitar vocal that paints a great story, a great feeling, a great mood, a great image, than something that's slightly built that's kind of wonky. They rather, they're going to gravitate towards that 100% all the time. So ear candy hooks. So, so far we've got the buckets. We're choosing the buckets of sync that we're doing. Then we're asking the questions, is there a need for it? And if there is, awesome. If there isn't, is there something similar to our genre that I can find that's working? So it's not going to be a stretch. So if you're a singer-songwriter, I'm not saying you got to make a hip-hop album. No, you don't have to. If you have to create the things that are relevant to you, that are still within your wheelhouse, and there's lots of out there. The next thing is the dynamic structures. Those are super, super important. Okay. Now, are you guys still with me? Yes. Okay. Are you guys still with me? Yeah. There we go. That's wonderful. Are you still with me? That was. That was. I'll take a shrug. Okay. I'll take a shrug. Okay. Hey, it's Mike. I'm jumping in the middle of this episode to let you know I have a book that's coming out. Yeah, a book. You know, over the past decade, I have gathered so much thought on teaching songwriters, really understanding the pain points in terms of what hinders their playing to write great songs. And most of the time, it's not complicated things. It's things that get overlooked again and again and again. This is the framework that I've developed that I've taught in my courses, coaching clients, that on retreats, songwriting retreats that I've taught again and again and again, I'm making available in this book. So if you're someone that wants to better understand their guitar, utilize it to its full potential to write better songs, just head right now to songwritingguitaristbook.com and you can pre-order my book right now and you're going to receive an immediate download of the audiobook, which has extra content and the Kindle version. You're going to get available ASAP. So as soon as you pre-order the book, guess what? You have these available at your fingertips so you can start diving in now. So remember, go to songwritingguitaristbook.com to pre-order The Songwriting Guitarist. Okay, let's jump back into the episode. Let's talk about themes. Because this is another thing. We always talk about, well, here's what this song is about. That's great. And I think that's awesome. But what are the themes that you're going to cover? Because the, the site that I told you, Tune Find, if you go into any of those shows, you're going to find themes. You're going to find continuing stories that are there. Continuing things that are going to point you in the direction of like, oh shit, like this show is really dark. Or it's just like, oh, you know what? This is like, when you go into Grey's Anatomy, you know what you're going to get. 
you're not going to be like, I wonder what's in a Grey's Anatomy show. It's going to be some heartfelt song that's either going to build you up or it's going to wreck you. Uh, that's going to make you be like, like one of my mentors, Judy Stakey, who um, for years was a uh, VP of creative at Warner Chapel. Like she's so much and she's so sweet. She's the person she discovered and like actually allowed her to live for two years was like Cheryl Crow. And when she tells that, I'm just like, shit. And she was like, yeah, she was super nice. That was, she was so amazing. She was like, Mike, I just went into uh, Grey's Anatomy. And I was like, okay. And she was like, did you know there's such good music in Grey's Anatomy? I was like, I know. And she was like, but they're just like emotional. She said like each time she would watch an episode of Seeing with the song, she was like, I'd be in tears. Okay. So what is that? What's working with that? Okay. Well, it's the acting, it's the scene. But at the same time, it's also the music that amplifies. Like your music's going to amplify a scene or it's going to hinder it. It's not going to be used if it hinders it. It's going to be used if it amplifies it. So the themes, like right now, heartbreak is a great theme. But like what are the emotions and even the subject matter that we could go even deeper with heartbreak? Like, yeah, we could go to chat GPT and be like, what other words for heartbreak? Enter and get all these words. But we could go to things like Lime Zone. And we could start diving even deeper. But like, what type of heartbreak? Is it a mutual heartbreak? Like, we know it's not right, but you know, we're gonna part ways together. Is it also too, you cheated on me and now I'm like wrecked forever and I have to pick up the pieces? Is it gonna be a heartache that's not, it, it's, it's, it's not gonna be romantic love, but platonic love. If there's one thing I hear also too from music supervisors consistently, more platonic love songs, please. The briefs that I see consistently over and over in our sync uh, membership, we did a challenge where we were like, write a platonic love song. Please write a platonic love song because they're inundated consistently with tons of love songs. But what about the love between just family? And the love that you have for a friend, like a really good friend that's passed. Like what would that song be like that describes that love in a non-romantic way but still feels like there's a deep connection. Like we could go really deep into these subjects. And again, this is even before we've even started writing the song. We're thinking about this because we're thinking about there are needs for this. So that subject matter that we dive into is deep because then the subject matter, we're gonna branch out into the emotional fields. Because if I'm talking about, okay, the loss of a very good friend, what, what, what emotions are, are gonna pull up? And the reason this is important what, let's say we write a great song that hits all of those marks. You're gonna to have to eventually en enter something that's called metadata, which is going to simply be the feels, like categorizing the subject matter. What does this sound like? What are the emotions this hits? You need to be thinking about this. You can't say, I can't tell you the number of times people have sent me emails and been like, so what does it sound like and what does this feel like? I don't know. Because if my first question is like, well, what was your point of reference? I don't know, I can't help you. What was the emotion and the subject matter you were kind of going for? Eh, you know, kind of like a Grey's Anatomy song. <laughs> that is so vast and so vague. And again, what bums me out is like they carved out that time to write and they wasted it because there was zero intention. Now, I'm not here to make you feel bad with Mike. This is it's not part of my process. That's okay, it can start to be part of your process. You'll find that it gets refined. It should constantly be refined. Because so many people are like, I wanna go for, I wanna get a publishing deal, I wanna get a record label, I wanna get this, I wanna get that. One of the best, best areas still is licensing because it's an ever-growing industry. Like seriously, this is, again, a constant need. So the more focused you get on this, especially in this metadata, like think about the subject matter, but the emotion, the emotional feels that you're gonna get behind there, you are going to increase your chances. And that's my goal of why I'm doing this. It's my goal of why I'm here because I want you aware of all of this and taking the notes so that when you go back, you're like, shit, I'm gonna start putting this into practice. Because here's the thing, you're gonna put it into practice and the first couple of songs are gonna feel forced. And you're gonna be like, oh, I hate this. Yeah, do it more, do it again. And you're gonna do it again, and you're gonna be like, okay, it's, it's a little bit better. Do it again. I guarantee if you did this for the next three months, the quality of what you start to pump up is gonna be so much better because it all boils back to intention. 
And I know people sometimes will be like, well, I don't write like that. I write by inspiration. Yeah, you'll get inspiration when you start carving out playlists. When you start consuming and seeing visually what's happening, your idea as creatives, it's just going to be on fire. You're going to have so much that you're scribbling down ideas. You're getting voice memo ideas. So that when you sit down and start doing the intention to write like a song, you're going to be like, you're going to hit the mark. It's going to happen to hit the mark consistently. Now, the last one. Now, this is going to get a little bit into the publishing side. The legal things. Uh, yeah, yeah. Quick question. So far, most of the things you're referring to, we've talked about uh, everything from the point of inception with yeah. starting, doing things, and motivation yeah. to get placement. What about things like looking at from uh, after that, where you already have songs you recorded nine years ago, two months ago, seven years ago, and getting things of that nature placed? Is that, is that completely off the table, or is that just a lot harder? It's still, it's still, you have to use that, still use that form of measurement. Is there a need for it? Where are you going to pitch it? Like, which bucket are you going to pitch it? Is there a need for it? If there is, awesome. What does it sound like and what are similar artists? What are the emotional targets that you're hitting? Okay, what is the subject matter? Is it following the law of the dynamics and the ear candy hooks? If the answers are like checking all the boxes, cool, there's no reason. Now, if you're like, oh, you know, it's kind of a, then I'd be like, cool. That's where I would pause and be like, is your time better spent, especially building that relationship Taking stuff you already have or building something that is more catered to what they need. Most of the time that I found, it is much easier to cater to need with new information. Because even like if taking this information, I don't even bother to go back to my old songs. Like that old hard drive that I have, I could, there's lots of them. But I'm gonna spend hours, it's basically rewriting the whole song again. My time is better spent just writing a new song. Because now I've got all this information. So my thought is like it has to hit the check marks, and then probably this last check mark it definitely has to hit. And this is the legal side because this is where it's going to be hit. It's going to be a yes or a no. So if you are writing this, do you have a co-writer? Are they signed to a pro? Are they signed to ASCAP, BMI, CSAC? Those are the two. Uh, overseas, they're different. I think it's SOCAN in Canada. Uh, there's a couple different ones overseas. Do they have, do they also have a publisher? Because this is going to be a thing. If they're already signed to a publisher, let's say they're signed to Warner Chapel. Okay. That's going to be, that is going to be not what we would say one stop. And one stop means I could take a song. So if I bump into Natalie on the street and I go, oh my God, Natalie, I just got this song that I just produced for this artist. And I want you to play it. And she was shit. I just got a brief. And this is perfect for it. And I'm like, great, I'm gonna forge you our sheets that are one stop, meaning we own 100% of it. There are no other like big wig corporate publishers. We are the independent publishers. We own the master recording, the master version, like the recorded version, we own everything. And I got the one stop sheet too that we both signed, which gives me permission to accept on behalf of her. And she's like, sweet, that deal can be done right there. Now let's say, She's not signed to her own independent publisher. She's not a publisher herself, but she signed to Warner Chapel. That's not one stop. She would then have to go to Warner Chapel and be like, hi, I'd like to use the song. And they go, well, we'll take your request and we'll get back to you. Uh, and I only know this because at the beginning, I wrote with a couple of people that were signed to publishers, um, Curb Word, and it was a nightmare because the process was so long that eventually the two songs that they wanted to place, they were just like, we're good. We're just gonna let those go. Because the process was dragging out. One stop ensures that everything is gonna be easy. So that means if you've got a co-writer, it's registered with their pro and you've registered with your pro. So ASCAP, CSAC, uh, BMI, whatever it is. So you've got your writer IPI and you've got your publisher IPI. Those are important. They are not the same. You've gotta have two of those in your split sheets. Yes. Say IPI. IPI. So there's a number. Like, you know, for instance, mine is like, you know, Mike Myers is my writer IPI, and then my IPI number would be number six something and something. And then my publisher name is LLZ Publishing, and then there's a number under that. What does that stand for? LLZ? IPI. Uh, that's a great question. No idea, but it's important. It's so important. <laughs> 
It's like Catholicism. I, that was my answer in Catholic school. I don't know. It's just like they told me it was important. Um, interested party information. Yeah, there we go. Boom. Perfect. Interested party information. Interested party information. Yeah, so you, there's a writer IPI. That means you get the. There's, because when we get into your rights, your streaming rights, and just your royalty rights, there's two, there's two streams. Now, let's say, uh, for instance, that Team Mom show that got placed. I got an upfront payment of $500 that we split with a co writer, but then we get back end royalties. So that means every time it plays, every time it's time it airs, every time it's streamed, I get a little bit of that for my writing and for my publishing. So it's important to have those two. Like if I just, with ASCAP, go and just do the writing, and let's say it did get placed, unclaimed money just sits there. So if you don't have a publisher, it's not that the others get it, it just floats there. And a lot of people are leaving money on the table just floating because they don't have a publisher. So you could just, and if you're with ASCAP, you just go up and you go click publisher, do 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 and type in whatever name you want, you pay, same thing with BMI, Boom, that's it. Then you've got your publisher and you've got your writer IPI, which is so important. Now you gotta make sure they have that as well. If they don't, do not pitch and hound them till they get it. Or honestly, if they don't have that, that's a huge benchmark for me in collaboration because I'm like, they don't really wanna do this seriously because it's like, it's like basic is getting just your writer, writer and publishing. If they don't have any of that, to me, it's like they're slightly dabbling. Like they don't mind it, but it's not a goal. And the last thing is, it's that master recording. Since I produce it, we always split the master recording 50-50. So that's the final recorded version. That's like everything. So we've got publishing, writing, and the master. Those are all your rights. And if you own 100% of that with your co-writers, and you have legally have that on a split sheet, and then on that one-stop sheet, which the one-stop sheet, again, allows you to pitch on behalf of your co-writers and vice versa. Let's say they're, they go to Nashville. They meet someone. They're like, oh, there's some from symphonic dis- discography. That's awesome. They're amazing. And they want to use it for the scene and shameless. I gave the thumbs up. Awesome. Because we have that one-stop sheet. I trust them. They trust me. And that also means it's non-exclusive. Because there's two worlds in licensing, exclusive, non-exclusive. Non-exclusive, I can pitch to as many libraries as I want. For instance, that song, Crazy, that got used, placed over nine times, that was placed by different licensors. Because we put it in multiple libraries, gave them the information, and it was able to be pitched multiple, multiple places. And that's wonderful. Exclusive means it's either going to be a one, three, or five-year deal with just that company. We are tying that song to that company. I do not recommend that at the very beginning. If you only have a few songs, don't do that. The reason is create more. You can always test one or two with a company, but don't put your entire catalog in the hopes that they're going to place it. Now, here's what may happen. Maybe you do one or two, and they start scoring these placements. Cool. Then you start moving because you realize they're pitching my shit. They're answering my stuff. I love that. But if they're not, you didn't put all of your songs there. But start right with non-exclusive, especially if you got like two or three. Start meeting people. Start posting them to other places. Now, one thing I would highly recommend not to sign up for is taxi. Now, this is a big thing. I know this is taxi. You'll see emails from people that will be like, you should, you should do placements through taxi. Here's what I will say. You'll pay a nominal fee, and then you've got to pay a little bit to then get your song listened to. But they're the same pitches that you could be doing independently for yourself. I had a friend and one of our coaches, Josh Doyle, who was uh, one of my coaches when it came to production at the beginning. He built up a company called 330 Records. He had like hundreds of placements already. And he created this cool little spreadsheet because I asked him about this. I was like, I'm thinking about signing up for Taxi Man. They got a discount. This is going to be great. He's like, here, let me show you something. They put this big spreadsheet. And they did a calculation of all the money he spent trying to submit for that year with taxi. And which ones resorted to like sending to the library and which resulted in the placements. None. Then he pulled up another spreadsheet of independently pitching the same songs to different companies, resulting in way more placements. So my best advice at first is 
you'll want to be like, it will be easier to just get someone else to do it. It'll be easier. No, it won't. It's just as much work. What's better is what you're doing right now. Building relationships. Half the shit that I get now is because I've just built up a relationship. Music, no matter what area that you do, is going to be a relational ship business. And my goal is when they see me, they're just like, this is great. Mike is easy to talk to. He's fun. He's a little over-caffeinated, but that's okay. I know he's going to deliver. He's not going to send me stuff that's not worth my time. I'm also not going to have them. So let's say you've got all your stuff in line. Let's say legally you've got all of it, and you're good. You're good to go, and you're like, yeah. I'm going to go send it, and you, um, here we go. Rule number one, do not attach an MP3 to an email. Please don't. Don't. Do not send any attached emails, because they will go right into their spam box, or they will not even. The, the, the thing that makes their eyes roll immediately is like, five attachments. No. They are going to ignore them, and you will be then blacklisted. You don't want that. So what do you do? My biggest <laughs> suggestion is, you could use things like, Google Drive, a Dropbox, and there's Box. There's so many different file sharing services. OneDrive, whatever. Uh, for music licensing, there's one called Disco, like like Disco, like you would do, like Disco. Dot AC. It's an amazing Australian company. Go figure. Australians making amazing things, um, and it's a great music licensing company in which supervisors share songs, playlists. Now, what I love about uh, Disco is like I could create a playlist of songs. Let's say I send uh, one particular song. Let's say I send it to Natalie. I'll get a notification when it's streamed. And I'll be like, oh, they listen. Oh, they listened again. Refresh. They downloaded my playlist. Because, please do never do this pop pop. Then respond to them. Let's say maybe a couple days later being like, hey, did you listen to my song? Question mark. Nope. 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 No, please don't. Because again... They're getting inundated with tons of other people that would be like, hey, did you listen to my song? Did you listen to my song? If they listened to your song and they liked it, they'll let you know. That's it. There are times that I've sent songs, I have not heard a thing, and my assumption was there was no need. That's cool. I'm going to move on. But then suddenly I get an email months later. Hey, Mike, just want to confirm this is one stop. It's going to be placed, da, da, da. And I'm like, shit, they listened. Yes, they do. What usually music supervisors, libraries, they'll download what they like. If there's no need for it currently, but they see a potential in it, they put it into a separate drive because that's where your metadata comes in. Because then they're going to search later on and be like, oh, I need a, you know, empowerment, uh, angsty, rip. oh, cool. They pop up. They will place it when there's a need. So your goal is after you send, keep on sending, keep on connecting with new people, but then start the whole process again. And you write, and you create things. And then you get all the legal stuff involved, then you send it off, and then you do it again. Because it is also a numbers game. It is a numbers game. If you're creating, can you get a placement from one or two songs? Yes. Can you build a career in licensing and create money from just one or two songs? No. So what do you do? You have to have a system, and you have to have a process. So that means... All the shit I'm talking about when it comes to thinking about what bucket you want to do. Then moving into the next one where it's like, okay, you got the bucket. Is there a need? If there is, what are similar needs and where are you focusing? Awesome. Then we're moving to dynamics, ear candy. Then we're moving to like the themes, the emotions. If you are doing this filter system, when you go to click send, you, it's not like a risk or like, oh, maybe it's not going to work. You've actually done some prep work, which is great because there's a lot of other people that are not doing prep work. You think music licensing is a huge industry of people. I hear this phrase from folks saying, it's oversaturated. And I'm like, really? Do you do it? No. <sighs> then you, it's not oversaturated. It looks like it is because like, well, there are people getting placements. It seems like a lot. I get spammed on Instagram by all these people like, hey, do you want to do sync licensing? Do you want to do sync? No. Trust me, it's not oversaturated. People that are doing it consistently and well, it's not a lot. And actually, it's a very small community. And the same thing with music supervisors. If you think of all the shows in the world, so let's think of the whole freaking world. There's usually just about a thousand music supervisors, and that's it. So think of all the programs. 
thousands upon thousands upon thousands of programs and only about a thousand music supervisors. What I find at all these events, music supervisors talk. They know each other. They share stories, which is good or bad. Because if you are known for being constantly hounding on emails, constantly delivering music that wasn't even asked for, they're going to talk about it. They're going to share like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh -huh, yeah, no, no. But if they're like, what I've also found is they're a very supportive community. They talk. And I've had a lot of situations where they've been like, hey, this song's great. I don't have a need for it, but I wanted to introduce you to. Because there was a filter system that I passed. And now they trust me. And it's like slowly I'm welcomed into their world. Why? Because it's a very small world. Their reputation's on the line. Because here's a nightmare scenario. Let's say... Let's say you did all the right things of the emotional, all the first four things I said, but then the last thing, the legal thing, you didn't do. And let's say you lied. And, or maybe like somebody didn't have the publishing, that's no big deal. Or you didn't have a one-stop sheet. And the last thing I didn't mention was a work for hire. How many people have hired out musicians to play on their stuff? How many of you got them to sign a work for hire? Okay. Work for hires are incredibly important because that is protecting you. Because let's say you didn't get their work for hire. You meet a music supervisor, they love this song, they think it's fucking awesome. And they're like, this is great. This is one stop, right? And you're like, oh yeah, I registered with my friends. Great, it's awesome. It gets placed on NBC. And so let's say it's like mid-level placement, you get $5,000. You're like, yeah. The guy who played guitar on that work for hire, they used his part. And then he calls you up and he's like, hey man, so when am I gonna get payment? Oh, no, 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 I paid you already. I did a work for hire. And you're, you're my friend, so I trust you. Yeah, man, that's not gonna work because that was a huge placement. And you know, I, I really contributed to that scene. I really played that hook over and over again. That is a nightmare scenario because then what's gonna happen is he complains, the music supervisor finds out. You've just burned that bridge that you just took to build that bridge. And then not only that, but you've also burned a few bridges for that supervisor. Because now their reputation is like, oh, they passed stuff that wasn't even clear. You can just stop licensing right there. Because yeah. that, that is a nightmare scenario. Has that happened? It has. I've seen people build, pour thousands of dollars into a production uh, and not talk with their work for hires. And the first question was, they come for a consult and we're like, and I'm like, cool, is there a work for hire? No. They're my friend. I trust them. No, don't, 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 don't. Work for hire. This is a business world. This, you need a legal agreement. Doesn't matter how small the part is. That's why I never, like if somebody's in the room and they're like, oh, you could get you know, Jimmy to sing on vocals. We're not paying Jimmy. Nor are we getting Jimmy to sign a work for hire agreement so Jimmy can wait outside. He is not going to be singing. That's not how it works. They don't go on by a handshake basis. They want papers. They want to protect themselves. Because the last thing is, then you've entered their small world, you've abused their trust, and then they kick you out. Because they're out with you, and they have to build up. The last thing they want to do is try to build up your reputation, and they've got to rebuild theirs. So you've got to make sure that that shin line is, is so important. So making sure you have your writing IPI, your publishing IPI. Who owns the masters? If you got a producer that produced it out for you, have you talked about what's going to happen with the master? Do you own 100% of it? Does he own it? Have you gotten this in writing? These are all things to talk about on the front end before you record, before anybody goes, let's record and let's do it. Mm -mm. Let's talk about the splits. So I want to, because my fee changes as a producer. If somebody goes like, hey, uh, I had someone last year reach out to me on LinkedIn, which is weird because I never use LinkedIn. I'm like, I always forget where it's like, so-and-so added you on LinkedIn. I'm like, what? She researched, found out that this was a song I did. It got placed. She researched producer. It was me. She was like, could you produce this for me? And I was like, well, let me listen to a song. She sent me just the bare bones. I was like, it's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Here's my fee. And I was like, do you want to keep 100% of the master or are we going to share the master? And she was like, well, what does that mean? I was like, well, every time that gets placed, if I were sharing 50-50, I get a little bit of that, that percentage because I own the master. 
She was like, no, I'd like to own the master. Okay, my fee is going to be drastically different because this is a one and done for me. If that gets placed at least two times on a show, she's pretty much recouped her money and probably made something. And she's running on, I think this is going to happen because he's had leverage and gotten lots of placements before. So that means if I get him for production, he's going to make my song much more simple, increase my chances. So my fee is going way up. Like I tapped on an extra 1200 because I was like, cool. So you want to keep the master, I'm going to do an extra 1200 She was like, oh, wow. How about we split the master? I was like, there we go. That's fine with me. Because at first, when I started, I leveraged percentages. It didn't have a lot of money. Couldn't spend thousands of dollars. But what I could share is like, I could share rights with the producer. I could build a relationship with a producer or two, songwriter or two that I thought had great vocals. I was like, I connect really well with you. You've got a great voice. Let's share. Because then you're building up this catalog together. And I always went 150-50. When people ask me, well, what should I do for a percentage split? I always go 50-50. I'm not going to go around with like these weird percentages of like 10.344 or... Why? Because I want to do multiple songs with them. I just don't want to do a one and done. Because what's the point if I get one song placed with them and that's it? Man, if I would have like been a little more open to splitting with them, 50-50, we could have done maybe like five or six. Those could have probably landed a lot more. So again, it's networking and building relationships that are so huge. So that percentage right there is super important. So be willing to share that if you don't want to spend money. And if you are getting work for hires, remember, in writing, before they play a note, sign this work for hire. If they go like, oh, I don't really do that. Oh, we don't really want you to play. You can be, But that's hard because that's a little bit of confrontation. But you're going to have to. If you want to succeed, you're going to have to have sometimes some of those difficult conversations. And to me, I have no problem, even before all the things I told you, if I'm meeting with someone we're talking about, hey, what's the split fee going to be like? And if they go like, I don't like talking about like numbers and things, let's just write. <laughs> no! No! Because again, that's your time. Your time is so important. I'm realizing this more and more that even if I got when I was you know, teaching and doing that full-time job, even if you had given me more time, I still wouldn't know what to do with it because I was still developing some sort of process or system. But once I started developing, the little chunks of time that I had were so more productive. They were more focused. I was getting things done. I was feeling good too because things started to happen. I was like, well, why is that? And I was like, oh, it's a process and a system. It's a process and a system. Anything that has long-term success, there's got to be a process and a system and it needs to be refined. Every time I go to a conference, every time I meet a new music supervisor, every time I listen to new music, the things I'm telling you about playlists, I do every two weeks, I refresh a playlist. I get something new and I analyze it because I'm just like, I'm a, I love to consume music. I'm constantly looking for things to expand my view so that I'm like, ah. so that when I go sit down with that intention, that well of ideas is just like overflowing with all these things that are actually being used as opposed to... I'm going off of what I think might happen or what I assume is going to happen. But I've got evidence now to support that. And that does it for this week. It was Ed In, produced by Chris Vefalius. I'm Mike Myers. Thanks for listening.